The FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast is supported by Novo Nordisk. The question of urban planning is essential to Singapore. The space is limited because we have about 80% of Singaporeans living in public housing, so that plays an enormous part. What Singapore has done is to try and combine its urban planning with its uh, fight against uh, the ageing population problem. That's Stefania Palmer. She's based in Singapore for the Financial Times, where she covers the city-state as well as Malaysia and Indonesia. As the world's population gets older, the need for age-friendly urban design is becoming ever more important. Providing areas where communities can meet and spend time together is crucial to a city. And in the centre of Singapore, a new building called the Kampug Admiralty has been built to address exactly that. The whole idea behind Kampung Admiralty is essentially the building a very large housing complex that tries to alleviate the problems that uh, the elderly population uh, faces, such as loneliness, uh, such as healthcare questions, but also trying to give them as serene a life as possible. How do you build a healthy city? That's the subject of this series. My name's Darren Dodd, and I'm the editor of FT Health Reports. For this podcast, I've been speaking to six FT journalists in cities around the world, from New York to Tokyo to Singapore, hearing from the politicians, health experts and local residents on how creative interventions can change lives. In this episode, we'll be looking at Singapore and a housing complex specifically built for an older generation, but make no mistake, it's not a nursing home, as Willie Ong, one of the residents, told Stefania. We belong to the baby boomers, you know, the children just after the war. So there's a lot of us around this age. So there's a problem how to handle this kind of population. It's oftentimes looked at as a great test case for the biggest demographic and healthcare issues that a number of countries actually across the world are already facing or will soon be facing. Stefania Palmer is based in Singapore for the FT, where she covers the city-state as well as Malaysia and Indonesia. And she's written quite extensively on public health challenges around the area. And the reason why it's such a great test case for these kinds of challenges is because it's a very, very small country. It's a city-state of 5.7 million people. It is also dealing with very limited space, obviously, and therefore has to be very clever about its urban planning. But it's also facing a severe aging population problem. So almost half its population will be aged 60 or above by 2050. So that, combined with a government that is also very interventionist, means that some of the most cutting-edge policies aimed at addressing these demographic and healthcare issues are rolled out in Singapore first. One of the first people we spoke to was a man called Willie Ong. My name is Willie Ong. I'm 74 now. I've been here since, uh, I think, 2017. He essentially is one of the first residents uh, to move into Kampung Admiralty, and he was uh, one of the most keen on the entire project. I found the moment we came in, it's so easy to have our food. I think my kitchen or my little pantry is more like a showroom. We don't need to cook, actually. Uh, on the second floor is a food court. So I always used to boast to my friends, I've got 48 cooks for me. 
<laughs> yeah, all kinds of food. Extremely uh, chatty man who was very, very happy that he'd managed to secure a space in Kampung Admiralty. What does the name mean? Where does that come from? Kampung actually means village. The whole point is to give that village feel in a city which is one of the most modern in the world and a key financial centre. Singapore has always been like that, you know. It was a village settlement. Then we graduated to a high-rise settlement. But there is a problem of being, how shall I put it, the moment you shut your door, you're shut out from the outside world. Loneliness is actually a much more significant issue than I thought it would be. So I went to talk to Angelique Chan, who is a professor at the Duke NUS campus here in Singapore. Uh, she specializes in research on the aging population in the city-state. In 2015, about 53% of people over the age of 60 reported being lonely, so over half of our older adult population. And when we looked at the data some more, we found that older adults living with their children were the most likely to report being lonely, which was surprising because we thought that living with children would solve a lot of issues for older persons, but it appears that that's not necessarily the case. I hypothesize it may be due to the fact that older adults living with their children are seen as taken care of in terms of having a roof over their head and food to eat. So their basic needs are being met. However, the adult children are busy. They work very long hours in Singapore. And the time spent engaging with the older person at home may be very little. And so the older person ends up spending most of their day in front of the television set or at the very most maybe going to the market, but they don't really have any other social contacts. So the whole point is to try and get them involved in joint activities, be as active as possible, but also trying to really spur quite a bit of intergenerational interaction. And just step back a bit, how does housing generally work in Singapore? And you know, how did these residents get to live in the Admiralty? So most Singaporeans actually live in public housing, about 80% of them. In terms of living specifically in Kampung Admiralty, Singaporeans don't get a choice. They are allocated a specific public housing complex. The people who live there essentially managed to get a spot by chance, but everyone we spoke to was extremely happy to have managed to secure a space in this brand new complex. Personally, I do a lot of walking. I do my own gardening. I've got a little garden right in front of my house. So actually, I'd like to welcome you to my place. And you, sure. sort of, yeah. if, if we have time. Yeah, I know, I know you have time. And so what was his apartment like inside? Uh, the apartment was a quick tour of the house. Very modern. This is where we watch our TV and have our snacks, and you know, and that's how we, we put on weight. Very compact. Yeah. Very quick one. I just show you, uh, to save space, to save space. He was uh, very happy about that. So the bed turns into a table. Into a table, a working table. So she can do her work, whatever she wants to do, and I can sit down and do my work. And he said that it was a good way for them to also have, for instance, guests over. No problem with your hotel room. Uh, this is about $75 a night. <laughs> Bargain. So essentially, one of the walls in the living room turns into a bed. Our bed turns into a work table, yeah. It reminds me somewhat of um, touring um, apartments in New York. It's um, beds that go back up into the wall because they're so small, etc. This, <laughs> this sounds a lot more pleasant. <laughs> 
<laughs> Definitely. Um, At least they were brand new. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They seem to be just very pleased with the whole experience. Do you like compact living? Oh, yes, why not? I mean, it's convenient for us as we don't want two of us. We don't want to manage a house with three rooms and cleaning up and so on. The more rooms we have, the more cleaning up we have to do. How large is the apartment? I think about 500 square feet, just under 500 square feet, yeah. But the gift is that garden in front of us. Okay. That's a real boon for us. I mean, that's what we always look forward to in the evening. I'll show you the garden. Can it's, you tell us what kinds of plants and trees you have sure, here? Why not? Uh, most of them are nice uh, leafy plants. Uh, and then, uh, of course, some ferns and some orchids as well. If you, you stand outside, you can see this is really my pride. I, I really love this. This is the part I love a lot. So right next to your garden, there are many young children yeah. that are obviously doing outdoors activities. Do you enjoy having that presence and also that meeting of obviously elderly well, yeah, and I younger it people? It's it nice. It gives us a different dimension to life, you know. When we see them, it reminds us of how we were when we were young. So we don't mind them. It's a bit noisy, I mean, but we don't mind. I mean, they're not going to be here for the whole day. A couple of hours and they're gone, you know. I mean, to some who are very, very sticky about noise. But for me, I don't mind. It's a change for us. It makes us young. <laughs> so the, the idea of community is obviously very important with the people living there. What kind of concrete steps do the architects and the planners build in to kind of bring this about? So on the ground floor of the complex, I met the architect behind the entire project. Her name is Pearl Chi. I'm the director from Woha Architects and she took us throughout the entire complex. We are at level six and it houses the quieter facilities. On the right hand side is the child care centre and on the left hand side is the elder care centre. It's also a sky garden, an outdoor garden in front of all this care centre uh, where there's playground for the little children and a fitness corner for the elderly. So the whole point is really to try and get these two age groups to come together as much as possible. Right in the front also are two blocks of senior housing apartment flats. We have 104 units in these two blocks and they kind of rise above the large gardens, as it were. On top of that, there was a beautiful garden on the top floor where residents and volunteers can go there as a group, do gardening. Some of them had never done gardening before. To actually uh, continue the Kang Pong theme of the building, our landscape consultant has brought back species like fruit tree species from Kang Pong days, which we stopped planting for some time. So this is actually quite nice to bring back all these Kang Pong trees and, and to bring back a sense of the old days, the familiarity to the elderly residents living here or to the people living around here. So as the tour continued, we moved upwards throughout the structure and we also saw what is called the farm. Where are we now? This is the farm. This is the rooftop farm with vegetables and fruits. It's actually a volunteer's gardening club. You can see papaya trees, you can see lime and so on. And basically some of the old kampong species came back. And when they have a harvest, then they bring it downstairs to level six where the elder care is either they cook it or they put it on the table and share so there's a sharing culture happening in a sense trying to link up all the different programs of the building yeah and that is a huge part actually of the weekly activity programs that the complex offers and did you get to meet some of the volunteers 
I did. Oh, every morning I come here, I prepare a pot of hot water. We had to boil the water first. So this is Mimi. Chicken bones uh, to boil. Then later, she is 69 years old. I had to wash first. She is one of the residents, but also volunteers. Every Wednesday, I come to uh, do some cooking and prepare for all the old folks eat. Today is cooking lotus soup. Then we will prepare all the ingredients so that everybody can share. But before we prepare the food, we had to do some exercise first before we can eat. Then we will make your body more healthier. After they take the lunch ready, then at 2 o'clock, we will carry on to do our craft work. Uh, I can show you our craft work is over there only. Very quickly, we hadn't even finished the explanation in relation to the kitchen that she sort of dragged us to the other end. To show us all the arts and crafts that she had done. I still got other things to do. Truly, one of the most uh, bubbly individuals we met with that day. We play uh, the old songs. Uh, now uh, we are coming up a Chinese New Year song. Now we are preparing. Mm. How often? Every Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday. Every Friday we learn. So, Mi, would you mind uh, playing something for us? Huh? Play something now. Ah. One woman PR operation, it sounds. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> She talks about cooking for the old people. I mean, how, how does that relate to the people she's cooking for? It's true. They kept sort of using the words old people, but in reality, they are themselves part of this uh, same group of residents. I think they are very aware of the fact that Campo Admiralty is truly built for a specific segment of the population. And I think that generally speaking, the question of aging population and the challenges that come with it is very much highlighted among the public in Singapore. So I think that is why they were constantly referring to the residents and to the guests in the kitchen, but also to themselves in a way as old people. And what was it like to actually visit the place? Uh, I think what was quite interesting was the fact that, first of all, the complex really was vastly different just in terms of how it looked and how it felt versus the other types of public housing in Singapore. It's a brand new structure, extremely modern. The gardens are absolutely stunning and really are part of the building itself. And the fact that really every single service, uh, essentially, that someone that is part of the aging population might need is really at their doorstep. So what else did Pearl, the architect, tell you about the actual design of the building? So Pearl really went into detail and really showed down to how the hallways and the apartment doors are placed. Every floor there are eight units and we divided them into four pairs. This is a taboo, but we make the main entrance of each pair of units face each other. And we actually set a bench at the outside. It's called a buddy bench. It's to promote a sense of interaction, it's to give a space where they can come and talk or you know, share food and uh, be able to watch over each other. So I, I think that is what we want to do, to enable the community to be built, friendship to be built. Yeah. And, and potentially fight uh, loneliness. Yes. So it's interesting, Pearl there, she talked about a taboo in terms of the, the apartments. What does she mean by that? 
Yes, so the thing is, uh, even though obviously this was a very well thought out plan, uh, it still comes up against the fact that the residents, just like Singapore's population, are multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-religious, they have different sets of cultural values, and that ultimately results sometimes in uh, uh, some differences. It's best that the not door-to-door. <laughs> One of the residents we spoke to, Susan, who is ethnic Chinese, was just telling us that she has a bit of a feud going on with her neighbour. They say I spy on them. I like to open my door. Since I live in flats all the time, naturally I open my door, but they are not happy because they are Malay, I'm Chinese. She is used to keeping the door open and the family across from her, who is Malay, does not necessarily like that. So they're in a bit of a door-to-door feud. So this is a main problem for us. A lot of us do not agree door-to-door. But it looks like, apart from that, she loved the experience. Oh, due to mixing with all these elderly people, and I move here, I feel happy. I feel that the environment gives me a lot of chances to do exercise, to get to know people. Mentally and bodily, I feel my health is improving. Now you've met the residents, you've met the architects, do you get the feeling this could work elsewhere as well? I think the structure itself is a great idea because you essentially put together almost all services that uh, an aging population would require. I also think it's a product of a government system that tends to be very efficient and proactive and also very good at having different arms of the government work together seamlessly. And you can really see that through the different types of services that are offered in the same structure, whether it's childcare, whether it's uh, the pharmacy or healthcare. So I think that really is testament to Singapore's ability, tested over the years, of really mobilizing its entire government apparatus towards a specific goal. I think it remains to be seen whether that type of government system honestly exists in many other countries around the world. And once again, I think the question of size, the fact that it is such a small country, really plays to Singapore's advantage. In terms of the actual structure of the building, I think uh, obviously Singapore benefits from essentially having summer all year round. So the idea of having a lot of open spaces, the fact that the residents really can take advantage of these open spaces is definitely specific to a country like Singapore. But in terms of the other aspects of the building, the fact that the food court and healthcare services or pharmacies are all included in the same space, that is something that definitely other countries and other cities could emulate. Our thanks to Stefania Palmer in Singapore. That's it for this episode of How to Build a Healthy City. Join us next time in the series where we travel to Copenhagen to see how the city is tackling loneliness. You can listen to our show for free on FT.com, Apple Podcasts, Acast or your podcatcher of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. To read more from me and other journalists you've heard in this FT Special Report series, visit FT.com reports. 
I'm Darren Dord. Thanks for listening. The FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast is supported by Novo Nordisk, a global healthcare company committed to defeating diabetes. My Sicilian grandmother, because she grew up in the Depression and was used to making food for six people with a quarter of a pound of mediocre sausage meat and a lot of dough, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay. And this was going to last everybody for three days. Whenever food becomes available, she would say, manja, manja, eat, eat, you know. I want to nourish you. This is a feasting tradition. American Thanksgiving, that's just what it is. It's about sharing nourishment, not nutrition, nourishment. We nourish one another by giving one another what we think the other person needs to survive, and we express our sentiments that way. I think that understanding the, need, the needs of people for feeling that they have others who care about them and that they are not alone is a much bigger driver of this illness than anyone recognizes. David Napier is Professor of Medical Anthropology at UCL. He co-founded Cities Changing Diabetes, or CCD, alongside Novo Nordisk and Steno Diabetes Center in Copenhagen. We're trying to find out what the drivers of type 2 diabetes are and to come to terms with the rapid rise of the disease. We are standing in front of a tsunami that is almost unfathomable. It requires a whole different way of looking at the illness, and that's what this partnership is about. The first thing that we have to do is we have to realize that the old idea of public health information is not going to fix us. You just don't tell people you have to eat well and you have to exercise. Those are the cures. They're not the causes. You know, to tell people you have to eat well and exercise, it doesn't work. Okay, so people migrate to Mexico City for labor, come from villages. So here you have a person, typical, say, middle-aged guy who leaves his family and comes to Mexico City in search of work. Here's a person who's very much at risk. So what does he do? He gets up at 5 a.m., he goes to the local truck where he knows there's somebody who cooks high-energy, fast food, and he's sure not going to drink the tap water because if he gets an intestinal infection, he's out of a job, he doesn't show up for one day. So what's he do? He gets a liter of Coke, right? He's got a liter of Coke, he's got this calorie bomb, he gets on the truck, goes to work, gets back at 9 or 10 at night, does the same thing the next day. And where's diabetes on his list? Number 10, maybe, maybe even lower. It's the thing that's going to kill him, but he's not thinking about it. He's thinking about how he's going to get through the next week, how he's going to save some money, how he's going to meet the needs of his family. So it's the lived environment, the lived environment, that really is the difference. I live in Oxford, so I get on the train and go back. So what do I find when I get to St. Pancras, or I get to Houston, or I get to Paddington? Right? What's there for me? What's the trolley on the train have? And what you realize is that this is not easy for anyone. And for some people, it's virtually impossible. If you add on top of that the fact that we're valorizing this lifestyle, it's pretty easy for us to excuse ourselves from doing the things that we ought to be doing in order to enhance our ability to be healthier people. I mean, everybody needs to have an advocate and they need to recruit allies or they're going to feel 
less capable, they will see fewer opportunities and they'll lose their motivation. What we need to do is to rethink this disease in other ways if we're going to be able to invest our resources where they're going to have the most impact. I'm Lars Furgaard Jorgensen, President and CEO of Nordisk, a global healthcare company with more than 95 years of innovation and leadership in diabetes care. This heritage has given us experience and capabilities that also enable us to help people defeat other serious chronic diseases such as hemophilia, growth disorders and obesity. Part of defeating diabetes means stopping people from getting the disease in the first place. That's why we have started Cities Changing Diabetes with the ambition of halting the rise in diabetes. You can find more at the website citieschangingdiabetes.com. Thanks for listening to the FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast, supported by Nordisk.